crazy beats and I don't know. It just it's more out of laziness. So that's what I have for breakfast. Is it is it homemade or you you bought them? No, I bought them. <laughs> it's because I only have ten minutes between classes, so I kind of need something that I can just like eat really quickly. That's sad. Okay. Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. The voices that you hear discussing eating adult pouches are Washu, who is our is our guest today, um, and Andy, who I don't know if he eats pouches or not. Tammy, I don't think eats pouches. Fair guess. I, I'm actually intrigued by this idea of adult pouches because I have been splitting my time recently between cooking somewhat elaborate meals and then also not wanting to cook anything and then eating like a cereal with almond milk or something like that for two of the three meals. What, what's this, what's this patch thing? Like? You know, it's just something I found at the, uh, at the food co-op. So it's just a bunch of, <laughs> it's just a bunch of like, kind of like mangoes and coconuts and beets in pouch form. Uh, it's mainly just because I'm usually too lazy to like go eat something between classes. But you know, Jay, if you're intrigued, I have a, um, I have a discount code for you. So, <laughs> so it's like a, it's, it's like, like brown, it's like, well, it's it like, like brown rice. Yeah. It's yeah. like brown rice. Okay. So sure but there's it, like basically in there. all the nutrients that one needs is in this pouch and you just squeeze <laughs> it in your mouth and it's okay. Yeah. And it's because one time, like I was on my way to work and I had nothing to eat. So I actually took one of my two-year-old's pouches and I was like, it's actually pretty good. So. Oh yeah. How yeah. was that? Was, are, is it good? It's good. Because I, I was always curious because our kid eats uh, eats patches too, and it's like I've tried dog food by the way, and not just like the dry dog food. Wow. I once tried the wet dog food, but I couldn't bring myself to eat the kid's pouch, and I think it's mostly because she likes the patches, and I didn't want to take it from, from her, especially if I didn't like it. Um, yeah, how's the kid's pouch? Uh, I mean, the one he had it was like a sample we got of like a really fancy one that actually uh-huh. expires. So it was actually pretty good. I mean, it just tasted like drinking. I know this is going to sound disgusting, but like apple cinnamon oatmeal. That's that sounds good. pretty. No, that sounds good. That sounds but like drink, drinking it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. There were zero chunks in it. It was just pure liquid. A little bit of texture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we didn't bring Juan to talk about uh, child pouches but he has written an article uh that came out this morning is that right why is it, it was in this week's new yorker right yeah and it the title is are asian americans the last undecided vo- uh, voters uh why for, for people who don't know um why is a professor at vassar and is a staff writer at the new yorker and uh i don't know he and i go way back to the days when i was at grantland even before that right like yeah, 10, I, think, uh, I think 10 years at least. Back in the days when I had an, uh, an, a non-paying blog at the Atlantic, I feel. Oh, that's like, right. That's <laughs> right. That was an interesting approach, huh? Like the Atlantic was like uh, not paying a bunch of people to have blogs. And it was everybody from like, uh, like Tana. That was like one of, yeah. that was where Tanahasi started yeah. out, right? It was one of those Atlantic blogs. Yeah. yeah and I think when, uh, I don't know, I'm sure he was getting paid for it, but I know when, when I did it, one of the other people who did it was Ed Koch, the mayor. And he did, he just published movie reviews on, on his Atlantic blog. So 
Oh, that's a dream. Is it were they good? Where is where is movie reviews good? Were they like idiosyncratic? Or are they super boring? Like what? what I think movie? they were a little too. They were a little too. Um, a little too straight. You know, like he was actually just trying to write like serious movie film criticism. Wow, well, maybe that was always his dream when he was uh, when he was like a kid. <laughs> uh-huh. were, were you a grad student at the time? How did you find the time to do all this? Uh. I wasn't. No, I think I don't think I was a grad student at the time. Uh, I think when I was a grad student, I I didn't have the time, but I would just do this instead of my graduate studies. So yeah, yeah, I was very good at procrastinating. Um. <laughs> all right. I feel like I don't feel like talking about this article yet because like we have to. I mean, I, we will, but I think that you know why we um, blocked out six hours of of Zoom, so we still have yeah. To- <laughs> I know. Well, I always just do that because I'm like, well, I don't understand why I would, I don't want it to cut off in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. And then I don't know if it does. Does it cut off if you just put an hour in no. and it doesn't? Oh, it, it doesn't actually cut doesn't. off. Okay. I don't know how to use Zoom, but I pay for it. Like, because uh, I don't know why. You got to get your money's reason. worth with that six hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt like it was more official if I was doing Zoom meetings with people, if I sent the invite, you know? Like I thought it was like a power move type of thing. It's like, no, no, it's fine. I'll send you the invite. And, and so I got a subscription. That's, that's and this, amazing. Yeah, because Andy and I were both like, we have it already. And Jay was like, no, I, I have it. It's like, no, I'm sorry, I have it. Uh, I'm the alpha here. Excuse no, no, me. I'll send you the invite. <laughs> well, I was doing it for all these uh, Hollywood type, you know, like oh. not that I have like big Hollywood things, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes I have to talk to a producer or something like that on on a Zoom call, and I was like, with that, with those people, I never want to be indebted yeah. to them in any right, right. way. So they're in the waiting so, room while, while you're just, like, I, crushing the or something. Yeah, yeah, I almost, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I like turn on my camera. I have a pouch in the air. It's like half pouch way, and, you know, and I, I'm like, I dare you to ask me what I'm eating right now. <laughs> Um, oh um, all right well so um i don't know how we got on that oh um yeah today's a today is a very important i don't know i guess it's a momentous day right amy coney barrett just got nominated to the supreme court and it seems like the things that Wab brings up in his piece are you know front and center we have what yeah, I don't think anyone disagrees. It's an extremely momentous election with consequences that are like that. This and you know some of the stuff that has been done in the last four years has to be undone. And the question of where certain demographics will vote and things like that are important. I don't know, uh, Tammy. What do you what What do you think about today's uh, nomination or confirmation? Yeah. Like where you? I honestly was you, offline you, most of the day. Cause did I you just, get depressed? Yeah, it's super depressing. And I mean, I was thinking about our recent conversation about the court because, you know, during law school, like I definitely had at least a certain, I mean, it's not like I ever thought they would be our salvation, but I had a certain romance around the people who were on it, you know, certain of the liberals and kind of admired the insti- certain aspects of the institution. And it's just so disgusting now. And I wonder what law students and young people who are hoping to use the law for like activist purposes are feeling. It's just super extremely discouraging well were you were you surprised did you did you not did you think that maybe there's a chance they wouldn't do this no i didn't i am reading though uh john tester's memoir for some reason he's the montana um democratic senator and he voted against kavanaugh and gorsuch Mm. um anyway so i was reading those sections earlier this morning 
Yeah, I remember having this conversation right when they went after RGB died and with a friend of mine and he's like very cynical. Well, I wouldn't say cynical, but he's like a realist. And I was like, I think there's a chance that they might, you know, yeah. they might stop this. And he was like, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm really tired of you talking to me that this way, you know? <laughs> And so today I texted. I was like, "You were absolutely right." I don't know what I was thinking. Of course, they were gonna get it through. Oh, so I don't bad. know. It's weird that everybody like entertained this fantasy that maybe this wouldn't happen, and now you know we're here because yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't. I can't even tell you what the scenario would have been where I thought that this was gonna get blocked. You know, it's like, well, maybe Mitch McConnell will say if I said something <laughs> oh, in the God. past, you shouldn't do it in the future. You know, or, like, <laughs> yeah, or something like that, or like, you know, like. John Stewart would come on TV and like <laughs> zing them all into submission oh or something like that. I have no idea what I thought was going to happen. Um, Andy, how are you doing in Philadelphia? Uh, good. Uh, I told you guys before I just voted today. So uh, it's like obligatory duty. I think uh, Pennsylvania, I don't know. I thought it was kind of in the bag, but I keep securing all these conflicting reports. So I feel like I better yeah. uh, just not necessarily vote in a positive sense, just sort of like not not be blamed. If, if everything goes wrong <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the motivation um, oh yeah that's true if you don't vote like people can get mad at you yeah. like, you don't have any you don't have any like protection of like well my votes i'm not in a swing state you're in the yeah. swing state mm-hmm. right y'all yeah. are protected um wow is it true in new york city that uh no so actually we got a mail-in ballot and oh, we're okay. like super lazy so we actually filled it out two weeks ago and never turned it in but once you show up, you can just drop it off. It was fine. Nice. But we, I was like psychologically preparing to like wait all day, all day for it because all these pictures on Twitter of people like in Brooklyn, I guess, waiting for hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. It was fine. Did you vote early while in New York? Uh, I have the same thing as Andy. Like I have the mail in that I just need to like secure in a box that says deposit balloteer. Hopefully it's like yeah. a legitimate one. But, <laughs> yeah, one of the fake uh, ones. Yeah, I... I think uh, I think my wife wants to actually vote, like wait in line. But uh, you know, I'm I feel like I've I've done that enough times in life. Uh, I'm okay with just dropping it in the box. So yeah, Did, is it true that there's only like that there aren't that many things to vote for in New York right now for this election? That it's really just you're voting for president. I saw someone saying this on Twitter, so I have no idea if this is true or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, the people who won the primary, they get to, I mean, there's not a, if they're running uncontested, yeah, I guess it's like anticlimactic. No, it, like most people are running uncontested. Right, right, right. That's um, yeah. Our ballot in here in California has so many ballot measures on it that are mm-hmm. impossible to figure out which way you should vote <laughs> that it's actually made me decide that democracy in this way is stupid and that, you know, other people should make these decisions. I had spent like two hours reading up on all these ballot initiatives, which is not something that I usually would do. And I could not figure out which, what the actual ballot, what I was voting for, oh you know, God. and half of like, I thought I was like, hmm, privacy is good, you know, and then I read <laughs> right. into it and I was like, oh, wait, no, this privacy thing is, it says this. And then I would read another article that said like, this privacy thing does this way. Anyway, you need, a, you need a guru to just tell you how to vote. I just I know I, yeah, I, just I was thinking about it. I thought that what they should do is they should make like a voting thing based on who you follow on Twitter. Oh you know? That <laughs> 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 tells you how to vote based on like, you know, if all you do is vote, follow like a uh, irony 
black pilled uh, leftist accounts and it'll tell you how to vote. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like someone's probably trying to come up with that, right? Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like if you follow these thinkers, this book reviewer and like the Clippers, (laughs) like this is who you vote for. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's on the stadium. Yeah. If you follow like, wait, 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 don't tell me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chuck, Chuck Schumer and uh, thoughts of tweets of God, then you should vote this way. <laughs> like against all the property tax increases. That's, that basically, that's like all I all I do is vote to increase my own property taxes, which, you know, I, I will pat myself on the back about. All right. Well, um, let's get into this article then. Um, well, uh, you know, I, I, I want to I want to read a little bit of it at the beginning, because I think you set it up in this really interesting way, which is that. Um, when Gavin Newsom was giving one of his many press conferences about the coronavirus, one of the things he said almost as a throwaway, which is uh, this thing started here in a nail salon, right? And everybody kind of understands what that means, right? It's similar to saying like this came from China, right? Because it's, the association is always going to be with Asian people. And in Orange County and in California, which is where, you know, a lot of your piece takes place, like, you know, there's statistics that you place, which is something like 80% of people, I think, in Orange County in the nail salon business are Vietnamese. And every single person who's Vietnamese at least knows somebody who works in this industry, right? Um, And you, uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about, you know, why you decided to start the piece that way. Not too much in like a craft way, but just, you know. Like what, what, what about that was interesting? <laughs> uh, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, big fan of the pod. So it's really cool to be, uh, be on the other side of the experience. Really appreciate it. Um, I think, I think part of the reason that seemed like an interesting place to start was that um, I feel like it's the kind of thing that only an Asian American person or someone from that community would bother to notice. You know, even if most people, kind of understood the implication there mm-hmm. that a nail salon is, is putting this on Vietnamese Americans. Mm-hmm. Most people don't really care, right? Even if that were if that were true, not true. And so it just sort of captured in a way that, um, you know, that condition of like not, not actually mattering. Um, and, and, <laughs> and um, you know, in the case of this, this person running for assembly who used to work in the state senate, you know, she tried to do something about it. Um, some of it, I think, was like just grandstanding or just trying to generate relevance at a time when everyone was just indoors the whole time. But it just sort of captured to me the generic, like Asian Americans, quote unquote, don't matter in the sort of state or national scene. Um, so I, I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it's like the tiniest dog whistle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like a dog whistle that only, I mean, not to, you know, not to, be racist here but only you know one type of dog can hear (laughs) (laughs) like every every other dog is like i don't hear that and then there's like one 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 dog in the corner that's like whoa my ears like um the sheep but you know you did point out though and that you know janet Wynn, who is the state senator that you that you're a former state senator that you're talking about who's running for the assembly now um that she that she did some research and she found no evidence at all that it started in a nail salon, right? And that Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of California, his office has not really responded to where he got this information. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much research she really could have done. 
you know, because she's just a person on Google, basically. So, <laughs> like, they weren't really, I mean, I, I feel like in May, that was still a time when anything you heard was plausible. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it wasn't like February or March when we were, like, following anyone's any anyone's rumor as though it were, like, you know, uh, probably true. I feel like in May, you know, you really couldn't just like Google to find out where these things started. Um, I think since then, Newsom's public health people have said that while it's possible that community spread did start there, coronavirus was already in California before then. So they haven't completely denied it. They said that at the time in May, it was like it was accurate information. But um, I think it's just sort of telling that they haven't really tried to you know, address it or walk it back or do anything to really uh, pacify the Vietnamese American community. Um, and th there are some ramifications. Oh, Andy, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just kind of thinking because I was reading about a lot of these cases for something else I was writing. And what I kind of concluded was a lot of these immigrant groups don't go back and forth to Asia, especially the working class ones. And especially if they're Vietnamese refugees who fled the country, they're yeah. not just like going back and forth. So it's really <laughs> kind of implausible, right? That they just like got on a plane from vietnam and brought it over right so uh, oh yeah and vietnam has no cases vietnam right. is like taiwan where like no i don't know how you know i don't i seem i trust vietnamese numbers yeah it seems like they just never had it you right. know like uh well they could have been like, like from china into vietnam or something but yeah. yeah it's just like it doesn't anyway so i don't know i just occurred to me it doesn't make any sense uh, except for the sort of i don't know it's really bizarre that he said that like what was what was going through his mind well, it led to some ramifications, right? It wasn't just a throwaway line. Like nail salons opened later than hair salons, right? They opened, they're one of the last businesses to open. And then when the shutdown started, which were always tiered in the state, nail salons were some of the first people to have to close. And so, you know, there were business and economic ramifications from you know, not just this throwaway line, but this, this thought. And one of the one of the quotes that you got from from this person, which I found to be interesting, and you know something that we've touched on, but I think we should talk about it a little more, which is that uh, you write like in Wynn's mind, there's a clear lesson. Quote: We're not a community that's large enough politically. She said, "We're getting involved politically, but we're not there in terms of being donors." The governor sees us. She paused. He doesn't even see us. Um, like how how uh, how common was this sentiment when you were talking to people about this amongst Asian American voters in in California, like that 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 nobody cares about what we do or nobody cares how we feel, nobody cares how we vote. I feel like it wasn't as common as it was. I mean, I think in that case, she was really trying to dramatize something that um, at least like the Democrats I talked to, all the all the sort of like liberal minded folk, they had this very like hardcore like we are the American dream. We are the quintessential American kind of thing, which was sort of jarring in a different way. Um, I think Quinn was just, she is a bit of an outlier because there is this clique of Asian American, like Asian American women were really prominent in the GOP in Orange County. And she's part of that, but she's also a little bit on the outside of that. So I think she was really trying to kind of play up her underdog status um, generally though, I, I, you know, as someone who has been interested in like Asian American and Asian Americans in politics since like the nineties, who has, has thought about this stuff a lot, I was actually surprised by how many people didn't share this exact sentiment, which is like my sentiment. Like my sentiment is more like Jan Quinn's where it's like, 
nobody really cares, you know. Like you, you could be half a million people in California, but the governor is still like not particularly concerned about offending you or like, you know, mm-hmm. allegedly offending you. Um, I feel like a lot of people, and and that was like an interesting part reporting the piece. A lot of people seemed way more upbeat or or hopeful about stuff than than I've ever been accustomed to hearing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what what side of the political spectrum were the people more hopeful on? the right or the left, because part of what you're writing about is that like, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, I want to kill myself for using this word, but there's a lot of political diversity amongst Asian Americans, you know, that sometimes falls along the actual diversity within, within, I I hope that the people don't, I had to write a statement of diversity today because I'm (laughs) applying for this job. And it was like, it was so weird, you know, because it was the, the, the question prompt was like, what have you done in your life to promote diversity and what will you do to promote diversity here? And I was like, well, uh, the first, I didn't write this, but my thought was, well, you know, first and foremost, I will be not white. (laughs) 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 And throughout the entire time I'm employed at your, at at this place, I will continue to be not white. You know, it's like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. (laughs) You know, to me, that seems like a big deal considering the rest of the people that you have there, you know, like it seems like that would be a big thing for me to do. Anyway, um, (laughs) within, you know, not to go derail this, but you know, um, what, what side was more, was more like, who was the most enthusiastic amongst all the different people that you saw? I mean, I think definitely the, the Democrats, just because I think they, they feel pretty good about the election, maybe not nationally, but at least locally, they're just doing more interesting stuff in general. I mean, there are a couple kind of big name Republicans, um, in Orange County who are in, in, in big races, but I think that they were a lot more guarded about stuff, partly because, you know, they can't really evade the fact that, um, like, the president is, they, they're in the same party as the president right now. So I feel like a lot of the enthusiasm is, is pretty muted on that side. Mm. Mm-hmm. And did you find uh, there was a generational difference, like the young ones are the more enthusiastic ones? Yeah, I think so. I mean, although I, I think there's like a whole, like, you know, there's there's a whole, like, world that's not represented in this piece and that's people who are like incredibly political but could give a shit about electoral politics so i think that there's a lot of i mean there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm on the left among young people among young asian americans but um yeah i would say generationally a lot of the younger folks like the people who are still kind of enamored with uh with obama and sort of like the obama white house seem like pretty Mm -hmm. stoked hmm um yeah the 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 one of the things that you like it seems like there's a demographic backdrop that we should discuss here too right which is that there's been an uh, it's something i think these numbers are somewhat familiar to people but i think we should just lay them out and you lay them out very well here which is since 2000 the asian american population in the u.s has grown by more than 70 percent to about 20 million people that makes about six percent of the total population the number of asian american voters during this time has doubled at this rate, according to Pew Research Center, by 2055, Asian Americans will be the country's largest immigrant group. And it isn't merely the speed of this growth that inter- interests researchers and party strategists. It's where it's happening. Natalie Masuka, the, a political scientist at UCLA, told me that Asian settlement in the past few decades has been, quote, the reverse of what we saw historically. 
Rather than these traditional destinations, ethnic enclaves such as Chinatowns and large cities like San Francisco and New York, the growth of Asian America is really in the suburbs. And it's not just in, you know, part of what is being discussed is it's not just in big states, uh, like the traditional blue states either. It's not just all in California and New York. Um, like, so where, where is this new Asian American voter generally? Yeah, I think the uh, they're seeing a lot of growth in like Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Texas. I mean, these are all like incredibly important states for uh, uh, moving forward. And I was I mean, I didn't know that statistic before working on this piece around how if these rates hold, Asian Americans will be the largest immigrant group by 2055. Like that was that was kind of mind blowing to me. I mean, it's not that it's not that they'll be the largest minority group, but, you know, because like Latinos will still outpace us, but uh, you know it'll be it'll be something like fifteen to twenty percent of the population, which is um, you know pretty astonishing. Um, and so, yeah, if, inconceivable. For yeah. Me too. <laughs> and if that's concentrated in like the suburbs outside of Houston or in uh, or or in Georgia or North Carolina, I mean that has pretty serious ramifications for those states. It's no longer people moving to you know, Queens and then working their way into like a life in Westchester, you know, if that's, if that's your version of the good life, it's not people <laughs> moving to like San Francisco and then going to Cupertino, like they're going straight <laughs> to the suburbs now. So, um, it just sort of, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that again are like pretty imperceptible, I think to people outside of the unit, the small universe of people who care about this stuff, but, um, it's pretty important. But this statistic, this country's largest immigrant group. So, like, you know, I was born in the U.S. Do I count as part of that, or would that only count my parents? My sense of the, it is that it would only count your parents. Like, it, it would be like the sort of the number of people who qualify as immigrants uh, okay. in that moment. Like foreign born, yeah. I think, is how the census would ask. Yeah, them, right? yeah, like me, not you. <laughs> Am I the I only can't. one on this? Okay, sorry, I'm the only American on this. Tammy, you weren't born in Korea, right? Um, it's actually too complicated a question to get into right now. Okay. I don't feel like that's a complicated question, but maybe that's a complicated <laughs> I was, answer. <laughs> I, was born, I was born in Korea on a U.S. military installation. Oh, okay. So we can it's, very, it's a long story. Anyway, but. So you wow, can still, you you still be president. Right. I'm a McCain, exactly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, you could be, pre- you could be president. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah, watch president. out, y'all. Walk- well can you be president were you born here i was born in uh champaign urbana illinois nice good college town before you went to cali then you went to cali as a kid uh yeah i mean and and weirdly when i was growing up in the bay area i knew a ton of other kids who are also born in champaign urbana (laughs) (laughs) like the phd parent crowd or something yeah, I mean, yeah. the University of Illinois just like recruited Taiwanese mm-hmm. graduate students heavy. So, yeah, wow. nice. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. <laughs> um, all right, so we have uh, we have this con- new concentration of Asian people in places like Texas, right? So let's just focus on Texas because it's in the news so much because it's uh, supposedly up for grabs now. Um, and what people are saying is that look, it's not just like. Asian, East Asians who are in these places, not just Vietnamese in Houston, but there's a lot of like, uh, you know, Indian American people as well, right? That, and they actually make up a huge amount of people in Texas. And so like the idea is like, well, how do we reach out to these different groups? 
And so one of the tensions that you bring up in the piece or one of the conflicts that you bring up in the piece is that some people think that Asian American is like one group that you can reach out to in this sort of way and saying, well, what's our Asian strategy, right? <laughs> but like, what does that actually mean? Like, how do you do an a quote unquote Asian strategy for all the different Asian groups in Texas, right? Because you have all sorts of different people in Texas. Um, yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Like, you know, like what 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 ended up working? Like what's winning out right now? Is there like sort of an Asian strategy out there? Yeah, I thought it was interesting just as someone who, you know, like thinks about Asian American stuff. And, you know, you guys have references on, on the pod in the past about how there actually is no binding thing. You know, it's not like mm -hmm. the Asian strategy is like, we're just going to dub who killed Vincent Chin into like 11 different languages, you know, because like, because not everyone relates to that story, you know, even oh, yeah. though, even though that's such like a important moment, mm -hmm. right, for like pan ethnicity or whatnot. And so I thought it was really interesting. Like they were basically just saying like, yes, like this, these dozen different Asian immigrant communities have very little in common other than they all care about education or healthcare or gun control. And so they would essentially use this relational model where they would just go into those communities, you know, spend time at like the mosques, the temples, the community centers, and try and figure out like, you know, who could, who could be the, the ambassador for our message and, and train those people to organize their own communities. So one of the guys I interviewed, um, Sri Kulkarni, who's like, you know, it's pretty charismatic Texas Democrat who's running in the 22nd. He, he said that, um, you know, this isn't like an electoral campaign. We're trying to organize like the biggest community organizing campaign you've ever seen. And it seems so basic. Like it, that just seems like what politics should be. Like people, you know, telling their family members to vote for someone. But um, I guess that's just not how people how people actually do things. So um, as a result, it seems like radical in the political space. But it, it just also seems like common sense if you actually know these communities. Mm -hmm. Is there some binding, is there any sort of rubric or something that they go by that organizes the Asian vote at all? Like, is there, like, is it something like education or something like that? Like, is there something that they think, well, all these people might not overlap in many ways, but they do overlap in w this one way. Um, because I can't imagine that it would be like around a claim to identity, right? Like they oh, can't yeah. do something like such and such Asian Americans for X, right? And expect that everybody else will get behind it because the only people who get behind that are like people with five to 26,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> it is funny because I think one of the, I just read a study that, um, I mean, this is like a tangent, but that the sort of like shift towards Democrats among like Asian Americans in general is partly attributable to, you know, like, if you're the first generation in your family to go to college, the chances are you're going to go to college and like become liberal. And then you'll go back and like tell your family to be liberal <laughs> as well. And so there, there's a weird way in which like, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. we, you can see that how that functions just like professionally. Right. But, but that, that that's, that's actually having this like weird trickle up effect yeah. among, um, you know, just, you go home and you're like, oh, no, you shouldn't be like this. Like, let me tell you how you should actually be. Mm -hmm. And because you have a better grasp of the system, um, you know, your parents and grandparents will actually listen to you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think yeah. I don't think the identity thing really has any like wide scale purchase. It's just kind of interesting to talk about. 
Yeah. It is interesting to talk about. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to envision what you could even do, you know, outside of the campaigns that exist, which is all stuff like, you know, Trump, Trump is racist. He says China virus and this person was burned for that reason, which yeah. I think is all serious stuff. But, you know, it, it, it sort of only yeah. it only sort of circulates amongst like an elite group of Asian Americans. It doesn't really go anywhere else. Well, but, I would have uh, thought it was immigration policy, but the thing is the history on that is so mixed, right? Because like Reagan did the mass naturalization and, you know, Republican and Democratic presidents have supported refugee resettlement. So I I guess like, Kwa, I'm wondering, like, especially when you were talking to people who did come through refugee programs, like, why isn't that a bigger deal that we have this president now that is you know, has used the specific demonization of immigrant groups as his main rallying cry. I mean, I think that, you know, immigrants can just, not that, not that it's like generalized to all immigrants, but it's not as though all immigrants support all other immigrants, right? Yeah. So I think there is some yeah, degree of... Um, good and bad immigrants and all that. Yeah, and, and so that's part of, I mean, I think Trump is like sufficiently divisive where that does, that does kind of work. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, I think generally, you know, if you're a professional class immigrant, like the H-1B visa thing is huge, yeah. right? But if you're a refugee, if you're if you're not from that socioeconomic class, like you kind of care less about that, even though you're both immigrants, right? Or you might even like resent the Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But that's H-1B not the only system. category. But yeah, I, I take your point because I do think it's it's so split and fractured, like even what an immigrant is. And the policies that would bring certain groups here. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the questions that I wanted to get to. But let's just talk about it now, which is that, you know, I think that if you sort of envision the liberal mind, right, like the sort of liberal mind that reads the New York Times and uh, I don't know, has a house (laughs) in Tahoe or something like that, that the way that they would uh, the way that they would think this, I'm talking about white liberal mind, right? The white liberal mind <laughs> believes that the way to appeal to minorities is to say that you're not as racist as the other guy, right? Because they believe that the only thing that we care about is if somebody is racist. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I've been trying to say this on Twitter over the past like two weeks, and I keep deleting all the tweets where I say it because I get all these resistance people screaming at me. But like, I don't, and actually it's my fault because I haven't been really articulating it very well, but I'll just do it on the podcast because who cares, you know, but like, cause you can't get canceled on a podcast. <laughs> but like, you know, the thing that I think about is just like, I actually don't think it's that important to Asian Americans specifically if the candidates are racist or not racist. You know, I think it's almost an abstract idea. Like, did you find that to be true? And you're in, like, was like, this guy is more racist than the other one. Is that who is crinkling a piece of paper right now? My guess is Andy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the is the is the <laughs> okay. is that your I voted sticker? <laughs> That's not a math. Uh, uh, no. I was just right, texting so. Andy. Are you sliding and clicking? What's going on? <laughs> um, is uh, is is that like actually an important thing in the minds of the voters that you talk to? You know. Like, let's let's even take Trump out of it here because he's so obviously racist. But like, you know, is 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 like which party is more racist important? I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, like there's I mean, I think part of the complicated thing about this is that um, like what I consider to be racist or like racism that I find like detestable 
is kind of different from what someone on the right finds to be like racism worth fighting against. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like there's still, you know, there's still conservative um, Chinese immigrants who are like fired up about affirmative action who think that Harvard is racist. Right. And that's actually getting them to be politically active. Well, yeah, that's um, a good point, yeah. And there's, uh, you know, like I interviewed the head of like the national committee, APA, GOP. I, I don't remember the full name. It's like, it's called Asian GOP. And that guy was pretty much radicalized by like Trump saying China virus. And wow. it was kind of, it was kind of moving to talk to him because it was like seeing someone realize in real time, <laughs> like what many people had processed long ago, you know? But like that radicalized like against the GOP against Trump. Yeah. So he was basically like, I can't vote for Trump. He's a never trumping GOP. He he clarifies that he's just a staunch conservative. He's not a never Trumper. He was like pro Trump up until this summer. And I'm like, that's that's a long time to have not been particularly affected by racism. (laughs) And then then now you are, you know, that's just that's his story. And like, that's kind of interesting to me, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, I feel like what makes the democratic strategy in like Texas and orange County and these things kind of smart is that it's not necessarily identity driven. It's more like you're interested in healthcare. You're interested in yeah. education. You, you don't want guns in schools. Like, so here are materials in your language um, yeah. that your friends are giving you uh, as to like why you should vote for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's, it, again, it seems so basic, but it seems kind of effective too. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense of how they got to that space where they said, you know, we're not going to do this as one big identity thing in the way that they might have in the past? I think it was just sort of empowering um, a word I, I always find weird. Um, I think it was just like giving opportunities to like Asian American campaign managers or, or people trying things because the the larger party thought they had no chance of succeeding like Sri Kulkarni running against Pete Olson. That guy had trounced every Democrat for like 20 years. And so when Kulkarni runs, like the party doesn't actually care. They're like, you can do whatever you want, but we're not really supporting you. Like there's no way you're going to win Tom delays old district. And so, (laughs) but he's like this super gregarious, like, you know, he's just like the person you imagine at a dinner party who's talking to everyone. Um, And he, was like we'll just campaign in 16 different languages and figure out if this works and it it kind of worked i mean he lost by five points which is pretty respectable in that part of the country um similarly in orange county this guy gil cisneros ran against this korean american young kim who most people thought would win and cisneros had this asian american campaign manager who again was like we can't just like you know drop leaflets all over orange (laughs) county we have to like go use line and WeChat and cacao talk and, and sort of like go to where the people actually are. Mm-hmm. And it seems, again, it seems so, so obvious, but um, there just hadn't been people in those positions to, to make those suggestions in the past. So, uh, so it's interesting. So like they, they basically are, it's not like a white person trying to decide what Asians think. They actually got actual Asians who had grown up around other Asians to come in and be like, Hey, by the way, like, you know, like putting a, you know, like, like these, 
you you don't need to do like a boba night and you know a tweet with you <laughs> with you eating boba being like you tell one class number one or, <laughs> or whatever shit that's fascinating I, you know i guess that's like a that's like a plus to like you know having asians join the pmc yeah. or whatever so um when i talked to um Brooke Adams last week, who was on the Bernie campaign, she really yeah, emphasized yeah. this relational campaigning thing. Is that yeah. a thing that you feel like progressive-ish Democrats are doing more or POC Democrats are doing more? And as far as this, like what binds Asians together, just as a speculative answer, she was kind of saying, you know, if you talk about socialism or the economy or racism, you're going to get into a big argument, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that does kind of click with, for instance, her parents who voted for Bush and, you know, so, so did mine. I don't know if yours did, but a lot of Taiwanese parents voted for Bush, right? In the in the back in the day, was but but converted them to Bernie was just to talk about things like education in particular because that's I don't know if this applies to all immigrants, right? But most immigrants would think about like opportunity and education as a thing that America is supposed to represent to them. And I actually kind of am not even sure like which group would be excluded from that. So maybe that is perhaps totally. the, the thing that binds all of these groups that speak different languages and have different religions. Yeah. And I think that's why in the eighties, uh, the perceptions that Asian Americans were Republicans because, you know, education, opportunity, like these things have been sort of co-opted by the right, at least yeah. at the, in the Asian American imagination of that moment. But um, yeah, the relational stuff's really fascinating. Like there was this UCLA report about how, Bernie just had like a huge, um, especially in California, like he had a huge base of like Latino supporters because people would just, you know, were empowered to like throw parties and like have campaign events in their backyards and basically organize their families. Um, it, I mean, it seems very progressive in that it's it's very much taking seriously the interests of normal people and just trying to figure out like what can we do together to actually um, bring this bring this in, into being, you know, and it's not sort of the abstract identity stuff. It's not yeah. necessarily um, like symbolic. It's very much just about like, you know, talking to your family, talking to people in your community. I mean, it seems like the, um, I always think back to when there was the, that big, like that first big, like Asians for black lives letter writing camp thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like half of what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, yeah. and you know, like I have, I have like, you know, mixed feelings about that as a thing to just yeah. be like, you know, like dear racist grandparents. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I do think that um, that seemed like this, this like opening for people to imagine like, well, what other conversations could I possibly have with, yeah. with people within my family that, that doesn't come from this point of like, like I know better than you do, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's part of like the reverse um scaling up that you're talking about trickle up effect that you're talking about it's interesting it's like the same thing that steve saylor says right steve saylor i I talk about steve saylor way too much (laughs) notorious white supremacist but you know his argument is essentially that what happened is that democrats won all the uh won all the assistant professorships and what they do is they indoctrinate all these immigrants (laughs) and they create this like coalition of the fringes is what he calls and that basically they put social pressure on immigrants to be liberal, even though they don't necessarily in their hearts want to be. And then, you know, they, they sort of get tricked into being liberals and then they vote Democrat. And so the Democratic strategy is trying to capture all the <laughs> fringes. 
<laughs> well, that I think also that like whole discourse around relational organizing is really interesting because it's like like the hot word right now in like democratic staff, like among you know twenty year old democratic mm-hmm. staffers and stuff. But basically, <laughs> it's just like borrowed from labor organizing, right? Like the idea is like right. you organize in the space that you are with the people that you know, and you're stuck right. with your family the same way you're stuck with your coworkers, right? And like you have Republicans and crazy conspiracy theorists and all these people that you just have to deal with. And it fits perfectly in the immigrant framework because the language part is built in. And like, totally. I think like the process that you described so well, Ha, is like that kind of organizing and the language sensitivity and all that stuff has been happening through like, more democratic and like left-wing networks in places where there are like very organized Asian communities for a long time. But now to see that like with the GOP and like Orange County and like Katy, (laughs) Texas and stuff, I think is just fascinating. Yeah. But isn't, isn't like right-wing WeChat, isn't that also kind of relational organizing? I I don't think it would fit into that just because like, I mean, theoretically relational organizing is supposed to be like in person in like a very intimate setting. And like, I guess with, um, you know, with COVID, obviously that's more difficult too, but yeah. I'm just trying to think like, is it a leftist thing or is it like anyone can do this? Oh no. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think it is, but I think it's been more hot on the left and now it's like everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk specifically about what you mentioned why, in your article, which is this young Kim um, Cisneros <laughs> race, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they're running again and the race is close again. Right. Um, I don't know. According to I did a little bit of preparation for all this. So according to 538's midterm or whatever, like, you know, it's close. Actually, I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> I don't want to not because of 538 I just don't want to lose my place but um you know young Kim is basically the platonic ideal of what you would think like a Korean Republican from Orange County would be right like she is socially conservative she is uh fiscally conservative she is like she's like 58 and she looks very young you know I don't, I don't know how to put it more politely she, you know she's like got short she kind of is, is like has this like kind of like butch like girl boss type of look you know it's, i don't know if that's but like she's like kind of like this korean ideal you know you can see it in the pantsuit and like you know she's like i'm gonna out compete you like motherfucker. yeah yeah okay yeah. there you go Jamie. Yeah. that's a way that, that's a good way to put it without yeah. without offending six different groups at once but she she has she has a certain type of appeal and she uh is like seems like she would fit it right in in the military she's from this area district 39 is like diamond bar hacienda heights fullerton and so it's not irvine right it is Mm -hmm. sort of the more it's very heavily korean area diamond bar it's like sort of upper middle class koreans who have gone out there to retire my cousin actually had a house in diamond bar for a while so i went out there a couple (laughs) times you know it is what it's it's like a suburban place it's like thoroughly the la suburbs um and she is like, you know, she says things like, you know, she wants immigration reform, right? And there's basically saying she doesn't want the same thing that Trump said, which she doesn't want immigration from like, quote, low, low IQ countries. It's not she said that, but that's sort of the Im- implication of what she's saying. She wants like beef up STEM, which is something that, you know, <laughs> like they, power, power Asian Republicans would want to do. Right? Like she's like, so um, she's so. Uh, and so the GOP put a lot of hope into her, right? Because they really thought that she was going to win last time. Yeah. And what Cisneros did and Nick Jordan was the guy that you talked about, who was his Asian campaign manager. 
And, uh, you know, it's interesting what they did was because they like kind of did it technologically where they went into different apps and they, they, uh, so what you write here is like Chinese speaking staffers reach out to voters on social media apps, WeChat and Line, Korean speakers were dispatched to Kakao Talk, a platform popular in the Korean di- diaspora that is true. Materials relating Cisneros' experience as a Latino and the opportunities that his philanthropic efforts have provided to other immigrants were translated into Chinese, Vietnamese, and Tagalog. The thing that's interesting to me here is that, like, you know, what they tried to do is sort of a cross-immigrant type of narrative. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Was that part of their, like, you know, I'm an immigrant, you're an immigrant, you know, we're, we're all immigrants. Was that part of their messaging? Because from a strict identity perspective, of course, like the Asians are going to vote for this like Asian boss lady, right? <laughs> I think, I think that was the assumption that everyone, everyone had, right? But that um, he just did a better job actually reaching them, you know, or mm-hmm. talking to them about really specific issues. Um, it'll be interesting in 2020, just because it does seem like, uh, I think, uh, I think if, if it hadn't been sort of the 20, the, the specific like weirdness of 28 is probably of 2018 is probably why she lost. Like it was a pretty close race. Um, it's sort of hard to say whether or not it was like purely because Cisneros and his like, like smart Asians figured something out or whether like, <laughs> Trump just fucked everything up for her mm-hmm. because it's probably likely that, you know, she probably would have won if Trump hadn't been like, you know, seemed like such a maniac even back then. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting because it does seem like here and then in parts of Texas, there are attempts to create these like cross immigrant narratives, like uh, Candace Valenzuela is running in like the 24th and they're trying to sort of like, articulate her narrative for the Asian immigrants there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know how that, that works long-term because I think um, Judy Chu or, or some other sort of like uh, Asian American Democrat in Southern California, like there's a, there are like Asian versus Latino, like Democrat primaries that can get kind of weird. Um, there's increasingly more like old Asian versus like progressive young Asian um races like in silicon valley um ro Khanna is like this i think progressive guy who's also like really into google like he's like this <laughs> yeah silicon valley guy like he beat i think it was mike honda who'd been like the long-standing um, japanese american representative in that district so it does seem like a lot of the excitement at least among the democrats could you know it could easily just dissipate once people get into more progressive uh once people try and push into more progressive directions. Well, like let, let's, let's pot, let's just talk about that one thing. I'm actually very interested in it. And do you think that that message could work like a cross immigrant identity, you know, one that's like based more on you know, shared values and, you know, working class values. It would be a version of almost like a, you know, bootstrapping right which is but in a progressive sense which is just like well we care about education we came to this country for its promise we want people to be taken care of um but you know we have more in common than we have not in common even if we're you know disaggregated by race because that that's you know something that i think about all the time which is just like well how are we how are asian americans going to fit into all of this and it seems like the one thing where there is an actual story to tell is, you know, across immigrant lines. Like, what, what do you think? I, you know, I 
want to hear from the other two too. Other two being Tim. Isn't that Obama? <laughs> I feel like you're describing Obama. I don't think so. I don't think Obama. I mean, what about Obama? You know, like his his father was a grad student yeah. from. But that wasn't like that was like his personal story, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't about people, people organizing on the ground. Yeah, sure, right. But I think his message was like obviously you know I'm the black president, but also I'm the immigrant or the son yeah, of immigrant parents. You know, Kamala is doing the same thing too. Yeah. I met I met more as like an organizing principle for the mm-hmm. Democratic Party going forward. Like, how do you actually unite these di- disparate groups of people under one idea? If if you think you should. Which, you know, I think that a lot of people would think that you should in some sort of way. I feel like, you know, if you don't make it just Asian American and you make it immigrant, then you actually capture a larger portion and you can Mm -hmm. kind of tell a better story because Asian American doesn't mean anything. Right. But immigrant certainly means something or, you know, children of immigrant means something. It's more binding, I think. Right. I think it's right. I think I think people have been doing it for a while. But, yeah, I think we can do it. Um. I never hear it though, because really? I was just thinking about because yeah, because like you know, like I had this producer who I absolutely love, you know, who I worked with when I was at Vice, named Rolake. She's you know Nigerian American. Her family, her parents are were immigrants, and you know, I, we had a lot in common because of that, you know. And I would always think it's mm-hmm. like you know, it's strange because like I have more in common with her than I have in common with like you know, like you know, some Chinese hype beast kid in fucking Flushing, <laughs> you know, who I vaguely hate when I see him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Even though that gets an immigrant too, you know, but you know, right. you know what I mean. It's like, uh, like there's like, I have more in common with her because we had similar educational backgrounds and right. you know, grew up in similar places. And, uh, you know, we're both working on media. And I, I felt like at the point, like there was some potential for expanding some sort of identity category into that. It seems like at least a little bit, that's what uh, Cisneros was doing, right? Like, and I, I don't know, I feel like the, 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 the ability for like an Asian person to appeal to Latino population with that narrative and vice versa is actually much better than one would think. I don't know. What do you guys think? This is like, uh, this is like that Chang Ray Lee book, native speaker. Yeah. Cause like yeah. <laughs> the, the main character in that book is exactly like who you're describing almost, you know, someone who's able to leverage this kind of, you know, I came from nothing immigrant story into like, I mean, I don't want to spoil the book for anyone, but, uh, you know, into like political, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even actually, off. partly because I don't remember what happens, but um, yeah. <laughs> into like, you know, political success of some sort. I think, I'm not sure Cisneros did it as like hardcore as we think it can be done. You know, I think he just, you know, made a bunch of materials, reminded people of X, Y, and Z. I mean, he was, he was also a former Republican. He's also like a veteran. So his his identity is pretty elastic, but I agree that I think there is a lot of organizing potential for. So, are you kind of saying that if I was like if I was Asian American running for office, that the part of my identity I should emphasize would be like I am I'm an immigrant or I'm the child of immigrants, not I am an Asian American. Let me tell you about exclusion and Vincent Chin and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Because yeah. I think especially it depends on what like district you're running in, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you're in California and most of the districts have a lot of Latino people and a lot of Asian people in it, right? right? And you want to create, like you don't like go on and 
you know, like be like, oh, I love this fucking taco. You know, like do like the do the woke version of the Trump taco salad right. fucking photo. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you could. And look, I know that we're going to get a ton of emails saying everybody's already doing this. But look, I don't know about it because I'm uneducated. <laughs> and I don't think that thing. I think so like if, if, if other yeah. people are going to do Tammy, I, I'm giving you the same answer. I'm uneducated. I don't pay attention to things. All right. So <laughs> like, um, but, um, I was I was thinking I was like, well, I would just talk in a broad immigrant narrative, right? And say that there are things that bind immigrants together because I think that's generally true, you know? And that is a place where you could be like, hey, fuck Trump, you know, because of these things that he said, yeah. as opposed to like abstractly saying like, in his heart, he's a racist, you know? And uh, we care so much about racism that we can't stomach, you know, other policies that would benefit us to even if we think the guy is racist, which I think is probably true of a lot of like, I don't know, Korean GOP people, right? Um, not just Korean, but like Asian across the board. I don't know. This is the only, this is a thought that I had like while reading your article and I wanted to see what you guys, Andy, what do you think? I'm actually just kind of wondering, doesn't this kind of sound like what people blame the Hillary campaign for doing, which was relying upon sort of the oncoming demographic shift that would help the Democrats win forever. And they forgot about, quote unquote, forgot about the white, uh, you know, majority in this country. And I guess the question I'm wondering, Jay, is like, I'm obviously like on board with a lot of that, but I don't know how to say this without sounding weird. How do you do that without alienating white voters? Well, I, look, I'm talking about running in California. Sure. Right? Okay, but, talking, yeah, yeah. but, you know, like if you were to take it outside of California, right? Like, how do you? Well, I think you can have a variety of messages, right? Like, so you can't, ju- it's not just one message. But for dealing with this demographic, I guess what I'm saying is that I would not split it between Asians and Latinos. Mm-hmm. I would just split it between immigrants and, and mm-hmm. non-immigrants. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, it I would, makes total uh, sense. Yeah. 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 So, because I, I feel like both both identities are fraught at this point, right? Latino, yeah. are um, Hispanic, like, you know, like even the terminology becomes like difficult or Latinx. Chicano and, versus Latino and all that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's as fraught as, as Asians are, right? And if you talk to any Latino people, that's what they'll tell you. They'll be like, well, Cubans in Florida are not the same as like, um, people who have been in Texas for four generations who are not the same as people who have been in LA, Southern California for three generations are not the same as like Guatemalan, you know, indigenous people who work in the fishing plants in New Bedford, Massachusetts, like all these are different groups of people and they shouldn't be all discussed in the same type of way. Um, well, I, think I don't it's know. Maybe like AOC is a blueprint for how to do this effectively. Cause she, oh, for sure. Yeah. An incredibly, yeah. you know, diverse immigrant district. And like, yeah, I went to one of an event that she did. There were like seven translators on the stage. Like three of them were for three different Asian languages, you know, it was, and there was also like African immigrants there. And I think, I mean, as Swa was saying, I think in the Trump era, some of this crystallizes a little bit easier, especially when you're talking about like the quote unquote good immigrant categories, like the people who are covered by like temporary protected status or like refugee status, because those people have been forming effective, I mean, as effective as you can during the Trump years, but coalitions that are like incredibly cross-racial and cross-geographic, you know? So, but yeah, I, I think like, I guess I'm more interested in like whether we can on the ground form those like organic coalitions and then we can choose whether or not to allow the Democrats to deploy us in their favor. But I agree that that would be an effective strategy. And I think we're going to see many more of these like Latino versus Asian races all over the country. Well, what it, yeah, for sure. Just like based on pure chance, right? And stats. So like, wow, like what was the, 
like with this idea, like one of the things that struck me when reading that part about Cisneros, which is essentially like, look, most Asian Americans assume and agree that nobody cares what we think politically, right? And that no one is ever going to reach out to us politically. Like, it seems like doing something, even like putting out a message on Kakao Talk would like get a lot of Korean <laughs> people to, even if your politics are horrible and you're like some sort of slob who can't talk, you know, uh -huh. but, like just the fact that you reached out to them on their social media app would make them think that you uh, cared about them, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying this is like to like scold low information voters or whatever the terminology is. Like, I feel that way, too. You know, if somebody does something personalized towards me that makes me feel like they understand me like even as the smallest gesture you're going to lean towards liking them it's only human nature like were, were these types of things effective for cisneros i think i think a lot of them found like for cisneros Kokarni, a lot of these folks they found that you know the asian americans asian immigrants had been so seldom targeted or outreached to at all that like any form of outreach was at least like interesting to them i mean it had to be non-intimidating and it had to be like in terms that they understood as people needed the process. But um, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting, I think, to think about like how, because we assume that like people don't actually care, but like a lot of Asian immigrants who don't vote are still like extremely political, right? Or they're just not necessarily political about things that are legible to, to like, you know, American politics. And so I think it's interesting to think about like how that process of political socialization is happening within these communities. And like, if you can get in there early enough and if you can kind of steer that energy enough, um, I don't know, it could, it could be pretty interesting. Cause like nobody's actually talking to a lot of these people. So if they're already full of energy, if they already have opinions on like education or like science, then it actually doesn't take that much. It, it seems that's what the a lot of the data is showing to actually turn them into like more engaged local participants. Yeah, I, I always think about this guy I interviewed for one of my articles, and it was like he had been he was this Chinese immigrant guy who had come over like 20 years ago or 15, 18 years ago. And he was very politically engaged in that he went to protest. You know, he followed everything on WeChat and on Chinese language media his main issue, of course, was like, not of course, but his main issue was Stuyvesant and like the SHSAT. <laughs> and, um, but like, you know, this guy had no idea who any of the candidates were that he was going to vote for. He was not politically engaged electorally, but he was totally politically engaged on this one issue. Mm. And he dedicated a lot of his time. He went to, pro like, that's way more than most Americans totally, do politically, yeah. right? You go to a protest, you follow yeah. a political issue, you go out, you make sure your voice is heard. And, you know, he ended up voting for Trump, right? And the reason why he voted for Trump was because he said, uh, you know, Democrats don't do anything for Asians. And yeah, I always think about this because I think it's necessary. I think it's probably true. You know, like they don't ever do anything for Asians. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's, it was interesting because like he fits the model of what you're talking about, which is somebody who cares deeply about politics, but generally does not have a sense of like electoral politics. But if or if they do, they're electoral uh, understanding electoral politics or the way they view electoral politics is through one lens, right? Like yeah. The one issue that they care about. And so they would vote for any candidate who would get rid of, or who would keep Stuyvesant the same way, <laughs> right. no matter what the other politics are. You know? and I, I don't know. I, like, I, I think that know. does describe a lot of Asian immigrant voters, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. 
the, as I said it, I sound, I was like, oh, I sound racist. <laughs> yeah. it's, all right. it's okay. I, mean, I think that, I think that makes sense, but it's, it's not just like the single issue, but it's also just a lot of like my parents, for example, like have a totally different set of like political turning points than anyone else who's lived in this country for the past 45 years would have, you know what I mean? Like donor gate, when Ho Lee, like these things are the things that they really care about. Like yeah. my, my parents were um, like, they're, they're like pretty left leaning, I, I guess I would say, but their introduction of politics was this um, territorial dispute involving these islands between Taiwan, Japan, and the mainland <laughs> in like the late sixties that like nobody else knows about unless your parents happen to also care about these islands. And so there's like this generation of like Taiwanese Americans who were in America in that period of time who were like politically radical or like they became political because they'd grown up under martial law. And then they come here and they yeah. realize that you can like go to march, go to rallies and go to marches and like protest whether Japan or China owns these islands, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask when you said they're political in other ways. Um, and I don't know if you, this is what you meant, but I think a lot of them... Um, if they're first generation, they're political in their home countries. Yeah. And they might actually think about these presidential candidates in terms of foreign policy, which isn't what yeah. we've been talking about. We've been talking about like schools and healthcare. But, you know, I, I don't know if you saw this report this week that was kind of jarring that of all these countries around the world, Taiwan is the only one that thinks that is hoping Trump will beat Biden. Um, and that's. Oh, yeah, know. I saw that. What the fuck's going on there? <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm like, Why? I'm not, and I'm not sure, like, does this matter to the Taiwanese diaspora? Because you think, well, they came to this country. I guess they care about, you know, Taiwan and China, but wouldn't their number one issue be the sort of bread and butter things like school and healthcare, or would it still actually be like, which president's better for Taiwan and Chinese policy? So, I mean, did foreign policy come up when you talk to a lot of these voters or do, are a lot of them sort of like, once they get to this country, they only care about things like, you know, Stuyvesant, <laughs> you know, as opposed to like, <laughs> as opposed to like, which president will defend my motherland the best? You know, I feel like there is this like weird, I mean, there's like, as a really circuitous answer, but I feel like within the like kind of Asian American studies world or like hardcore Asian American people, there's like this discomfort hardcore with the international side of things. Yeah, Does that make sense? Yeah. There's, a so, like, there's like a discomfort with like the international side of things, yeah. I guess because people are like, Oh yeah. Like someone thought I was a foreigner when I was right, right, 12. Right. So like I, not, I want to like double down on the other side. Yeah. So I feel like, part of that socialization process where it's like kids go to college and become liberal or whatnot, they actually are becoming more American and less interested. Yeah. Or, I mean, this is a generalization, but like, I don't think that that necessarily like the, like Taiwan is like not a, like a huge issue for like a second or third generation right. Taiwanese American, the way you think it should be, because it's very much like always teetering on the brink. You, you know what I mean? Like, and so it didn't seem like that had all that much. Um, yeah. uh, plus, like a lot of the races that I was looking at were like local races where people, you know, the, you're only going to do so much about foreign policy, right, electing yeah. your state senator. But, um, but it is interesting how, for example, like Janet Wynn was like, I'm never going back to Vietnam yeah. until it's no longer a communist country. And right. uh, I was like, OK, that's that's a pretty hardcore stance. But. Um, she had like no relationship to her home, the country where she was born, because of like her her violent anti-communism. Yeah, that's in, yeah, that's very interesting. That you know, that 
slight pathologizing you did there of, you know, <laughs> of the, of the <laughs> no, I think it's generally true, you know, like that, that, um, and that, that the relation, the things that we tend, the hardcore Asian Americans, I don't know if we are, but you know, we can just say people who think about these things, it is all domestic, right? And it's comparisons to whiteness and blackness, and it's almost never international despite Tammy's best efforts to change all that. Like it's, it is always domestic. And so, you know, what are the Asian issues and domestically it's like, well, it is just kind of Stuyvesant, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't know what else there would be, right? Like it's like Stuyvesant and the SAT. Well, it's also like you can't organize around it because it's so divisive. Like in the Chinese, yeah. Chinese yeah. diaspora, yeah. like what does that even look like, you know? I know. Well, it's well, the right can organize around it. The right has yeah. organized around sure. it. Sure. Yeah, the left, yeah, the left has a hard like, time organizing yeah. around it, yeah. Because they're going to call a bunch of people who they think like who are registered Democrats the first would be like, oh, yeah, I'm, go- I'm sorry. I'm going into a tunnel right now. I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> Just hang up like, yeah. we got to stop this, these efforts to end affirmative action. Or, you know, we got to bring back uh, race-based preferences in California. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. My kid is like, fucking, you know, it's freaking out. I got to go. <laughs> Block the number. Um, all right. So, uh I want to do like, look, this is something I just came up with right now. So it's not an actual segment, but let's just try a little bit of like rapid, rapid response here. Right. Um, And why I want you to just say whatever. This isn't a normal, this isn't a normal segment of the show, right? No, it's not. No, I just made it up. Okay. Because we have four questions and we have to get through them quickly. (laughs) I was like, all right, well, what should I do? Are we going to the overrated and underrated also or? Uh, yeah, or, yeah. Mount Rushmore of Asians. Are you buying or um, selling? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mount Rushmore of Asian America. Who would that be? It'd be like Grace Lee Boggs. Um, who that is a good one. Uh, George. I mean, it depends. It depends what you care about. If you're, let, let's say, like, um, say Bruce Lee. You know, like, yeah, Bruce Lee. I guess Gracie Boggs would only be up there for like the super woke, educated Asians, right? Like for everybody else, would be like George Takai, Jeremy Lin, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeremy Lin. Her- Harold Kumar, and Jeremy Lin. I was gonna say, yeah, Jeremy Lin is on everybody. Michael Chang. Oh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Chang. That's kind of yeah. niche now. <laughs> um, I I tried to at some point make a documentary about Michael Chang's match against Yvonne Lendl. And the interesting thing was that like right before it in the French Open. That Wait, was is that right the one where he had the cramps? Yeah. And he okay. was like, yeah. Um, and he had to do the underhand serve and Un- stuff. Unbelievable. Um, he was, his family, he was in a hotel in whatever, wherever, at Roland Garros or wherever the French Open is. I guess it's Paris or something. Who knows? But like, he's watching it. He's watching Tiananmen happen with his mother. Wow. You know? oh, and then he goes out Whoa. and he plays. Yeah, and That's so fucking nuts. you know, he describes it as just being like this emotional whirlwind. You know, so I guess Whoa. he wasn't like the type of Asian you were talking about who doesn't care about international things. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> wow. he, he did care at the age of seventeen, right? Which is wow. what I think he was seventeen or something or nineteen or something. Wow! Like that. So he That's watches Tiananmen happen, and then he goes out, and then he plays that crazy match. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I didn't make the documentary, but I uh, I did read his autobiography hmm. as a way to prepare for it, which was fascinating. He's like super religious. Yeah. Um, and there's no, like, he never like wrestles with like, how did I like a five foot eight Asian guy become like one of the best tennis players in the world? 
he's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I was just one of the best tennis players in the world, which I, I found to be a little bit dissat- unsatisfying, but I guarantee that's what it felt like to him, you know, because it's not like you think about it. You just go out and then you kick someone's ass and then you do a bunch yeah. of practicing. You kick someone else's ass. And, you know, it's not like he was thinking like, you know, like, you know, who am I? Where do I fit in this sports, <laughs> sports world? Um, okay. Um, rapid questions. Number one. Um, are the default politics of like of the Asian working class, are those politics always going to be Republican? Any of you can answer. The Asian working class. I don't think yeah. they are. But Yeah, I don't. What groups are you thinking? What? I don't know. I like, I asked a question. <laughs> like we disagree no with the premise, but yeah. anyway, there's no clarification. You could say yes or no. No, no. Okay. Cause so I, you don't think that, cause the joke you don't is think it'll, class. You, you don't think it'll always be a bootstrapping narrative, like a bootstrapping. I, I built myself through hard work in the meritocracy. Yeah, you but I feel like those, those racial dog whistles, like kind of fly. I mean, this isn't condescending, right? But like, it doesn't work. Because they're racial dog, they're like white dog whistles. I don't know if it, I mean maybe it works, but I assume it doesn't work as much. Hmm. Why? What do you think? Is it always going to be a bootstrapping? Is it necessarily going to be like a bootstrapping meritocratic argument? I don't. I don't know. Because I mean, you know, if you think about someone like like AOC has a narrative like that, or can deploy a narrative like that, right? Maybe not as dramatic as like Horatio Alger or something, but it doesn't seem like the right really relies on that narrative as much anymore or can like yeah. plausibly claim it but uh that's true i don't yeah, really know AOC i mean it does do that yeah it does seem like there's always gonna be pockets of it but um you know i, I don't know or do you still think it's the most powerful story that people can tell to asian immigrants is a bootstrapping story Tammy Kim, you're th- I'm doing my McLaughlin. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Koki Roberts, you're looking marvelous today. <laughs> I mean, I think that's uh, the narrative for everyone in America, period. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, I'm with yeah. that. Right? Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Second question. Do you, given that, the, that Asian Americans are growing in number, right, and that we there's a lot of votes that we don't know how they're going to vote a lot of people we don't know how they're going to vote it seems like people are up for grabs to a certain extent right do the democrats have to throw asians a bone here like do they have to start caring more (laughs) andy lou your thoughts Yeah. I, met, I met John McLaughlin. Yeah. I bet that job was so fun. You know, you just like point at people and you just like scream the whole time. You can do it for like seventy years. Nobody cares. You're still yeah. in the air. Right, you're pretty Andy, good. At, you're pretty good at that voice too. Thank you. Thank I think, you, I think you. anti-racism, although we can poke holes in it, still is very effective, and uh, for, especially for younger Asian Americans. And you know, I think to the extent that they might be moving in a, in a more sort of universalist social welfare like education program, that yeah, those are those are bones not necessarily Asian Americans, but to let's say you know immigrant groups, I think that works. Okay, uh, Tammy, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. I don't have too much to add to that. Why well, do you think the Democrats will throw Asian Americans a bone? But what does that mean? I mean, like <laughs> we've already we've spent so much time talking about how there's like no unifying issue i mean is it just that is kamala harris i mean i don't really know what that what that actually means because like every now and then like bush clinton bush like everyone had like an asian 
Asian American in the cabinet, right? Is that what this looks like? I don't know. Well, that was my next rapid fire question. What is the bone? Um, <laughs> what is the bone? Um, all right. Well, like, so yeah, I don't know. Outside of like reinstating Jeremy Lin into the NBA, right? Like yeah. what could, what could, what could <laughs> which I actually yeah. would feel very touched. If Ted Cruz was like, you know, if Ted Cruz was like forced the Houston Rockets <laughs> to put Jeremy Lin on the Houston Tech, I would, I already have like conflicted. <laughs> Not that I, I, I wouldn't say conflict fit as I hate Ted Cruz, but I, there's also part of me of my debate brain. Oh, by the way, Andy, Wall was also a policy debate. Yeah, we're, oh, yeah, policy yeah. Debate. Sorry, we're going to marginalize everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, Tammy's going to go eat dinner right now <laughs> and come back in 10 minutes. Um, no, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm much older. So this was like my, my resolutions were um, pollution and health care. Mm. Many years ago. So I know. And well, then senior, my senior your, year was China, but I had already quit the team. I think that was like two years before me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. PNTR. Oh, China, yeah. China was my sophomore. PNTR year. descends. Yeah, we sorry. ran. Uh, sorry, everyone. We ran drug <laughs> cooperation in uh, in uh, Southeast. Why did you Why did you quit? Because it was like an insufferable activity, or I just I sucked. So um, <laughs> I think I just I just sort of like plateaued as a debater I and. Think- uh, Ten years later, I, I, you could have done uh, crazy race critiques, and you would have done a lot better. <laughs> did yeah, you go to Archer? I, is that right? Or, did you go to Harker uh, or Archer, one of those schools in over there? Why? Me? No, no. I went yeah. to um, Limbrook High School. It's just like uh, wasn't it wasn't very good. Although I was mostly into debate because I liked carrying these tubs and like getting bumper stickers to put on them yeah i yeah. liked the craft of like cutting cards but you know those are all gone you know it's all people now yeah like uh know, according depressing. to charles krauthammer like seventy-two thousand people yeah. will die without health care and i also yeah. just love the branding aspect like because i was in limbrook speech and debate so it's like we could have t-shirts that said, i'm on lsd <laughs> uh. <laughs> none of us none of us None of us did LSD at the time, you know, <laughs> but like we were just a bunch of like children of engineers. Like, oh man, like, this, is, this is so hilarious. You know? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I will say that like the tub part was a huge part of policy debate. I'm sorry, Tammy, but it was, you know, I remember like there was this team from like, I, I don't remember. I think it was like Westminster, Georgia or something like that. One of these big schools. And instead of tubs, they had these banana boxes. And I thought it was like so cool. Wow, like, it's uh, Northwestern, which like ran the table in two thousands. They always got banana. Ran boxes. the table. I haven't yeah. I haven't heard that phrase in like twenty five <laughs> yeah. years. My God, so embarrassing. All right, everybody is. We're going back. We're going straight back to fucking rabbit fire um, question here. Hold which, on. All right, can I, so can I ask it, you guys it, a question? Yeah, that's sort of Asian American. Did you know that the hashtag Yang Gang was actually created by a meme maker who worked for Andrew Yang? Yeah, of course it was. What hashtag? Yang gang. gang, yeah. Why wouldn't it? Be? Oh, really? He literally See, hired I, a meme. Oh, he, he created his yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. It was like this 20, 21 year old kid came up with it. Someone oh, in thought, one yeah, of my classes. I it was like told, a, yeah, I thought it was like Reddit or something like. That. I always thought I it was funny in Chinese and Mandarin. It could still rhyme Yang Bang, but <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> but that translates as Yang Gang in Mandarin yeah. anyway. Um, I saw. I always thought it's not that I thought Yang Gang the hash like that whole thing was like pure or any way yeah but you know i was i was surprised that that they hired someone to come up with that 
Did it was wow. Andrew Yang part of like what we were talking about? Because he didn't really do the Asian thing, but he did the immigrant thing, right? Like, did he do? Did he? Start doing. It was like offensive when he tried to do the Asian thing. Do you so remember yeah, that whole weird? Like he had this debate where he said, "My father was born in like a dirt floor yeah, yeah, hut in Asia," uh, and I was like, "In Asia? Excuse <laughs> me." <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck dude it's like um but i felt like he was consciously trying to i don't but he never tried to bridge it with anybody else no, he, he was didn't, just trying to well he didn't he want to talk about to, taiwanese he just didn't want to be asian right no, he didn't want um, to be taiwanese to piss off china so that's what was that it yeah i think yeah, that was like because he thought like china would do election interference or something against him <laughs> or just i don't know he wanted to be popular that's in china what? i think that was it he just said chinese taipei uh, like the olympics I was born in China, Taipei. Um, okay, back to our questions, and then we're gonna do Tammy's. Uh, Tammy, do you have your thing? My this new week? spinach corner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna get out of here. Um, last two questions, which is, um, you know, actually, yeah. What, Tammy, Andy, what do you think? Is there something that the Democrats could say that would persuade Asian voters? You know, that they're on their side. Hmm. There's some way to like, you know, like while well, in your piece, you talked about like this guy who did the 80-20 coalition, which is he thought that he'd get 80% of Asian Americans to form a political coalition, which is like the, I don't know. I don't know if you like this guy or not, but I felt reading your piece that that was the dumbest thing I had ever heard, you know, but like, um, <laughs> it was, yeah. is, is there some Ambitious. magic bullet that they can do, you know, that can, you know, me and, you know, Manny Pacquiao can join hands and believe that we are represented by the same idea it's rapid fire you have to answer you can't do your lean back and think about it face is this for me is it for all yeah yeah you i mean i'm just i'm very pessimistic that the gfp actually offers anything i just think it's always about the democrats fucking up so if they just kind of do what they're supposed to do which is offer universalist programs and not do this not play the gop stupid culture war game they should win that's my but that's i don't pre- okay but what about stuff like uh what about stuff like stuyvesant or stuff like that that is deeply divisive within or do they just have to be like we'll lose all we're just gonna have to be okay with losing all those people um i mean this is a whole different conversation about what we should what, what should be done about these high schools i don't know i don't know what the yeah i don't know um Tammy, Tammy, your thoughts. What's what's this what's this bone they could th- throw? I think right now it would be smart for the Democrats to say something about the hate crimes, honestly. Mm. I think that's like a, just an easy, like low hanging opportunistic fruit kind of situation. And yet they don't. And yet they don't. And I think in, but in oh, the longer well, yeah. term, I think it's much less clear. I do think the immigrant thing on some level is still salient. They don't really say anything about immigration, period which I've noticed, you know? Yeah. And I think it's because, I mean, like, this is another thing that I tweeted that I deleted because all the resistance people screamed at me. They really are more toxic. You deleted like, that? I know it's like, I know it's like a Bernie meme to say that, but, like, they're so fucking toxic, you know? Like, this Korean fucking doctor who lives in the East Bay is just, like, screaming at me, and I was like, you got to calm down, man. And he's like, fuck, you know, like, I can't believe you. It's the kids in like, cages like, thing? Yeah, it's just, like, why? They don't want to talk about immigration because because they know Trump is going to turn it right back on them, you know? And so they don't. And it's yeah. fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep saying that. Um, uh, I've actually forgot my point. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, let's, uh, 
let's uh, let's go to the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is uh, or that we wanted to talk to you about. This is something that Andy and um, and Tammy both isolated from your piece, which is. Um, you know, I'm just going to read it here, which is both major parties have failed to forge a strong relationship with Asian Americans as a whole because they often seem too socially and linguistically fractured to effectively target. If you play to Taiwanese Americans by uh, standing up to China, you risk losing newer immigrants from the mainland. Expressions of Christian faith might appeal to Korean American churchgoers, but could put off Hindus and Muslims from India and Pakistan. Um, is that basically where we are right now? It's like nobody really knows what to do with this group of people called Asian Americans. I mean, do do we know what to do? Even no, no. I think the education <laughs> thing. I still think, I still think the education, but that might be my my brainwashing as an educator, as a professor. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe it is like just like throwing small bones everywhere, you know, in the same way they just be like, "Hey, cacao talk, that's cool," you know, um, <laughs> like sort of a more personalized version of the taco salad. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. it does seem like the, you know, like education, healthcare. I mean, the Democrats are running a ton of doctors like around the country, like Asian American doctors, which on one hand feels a little like, you know, like on the nose that they're hiring. Yeah. Like, like very model minority. Yeah. You know? like, and yet, yeah. you know, I think that there is some evidence that most Asian Americans, Asian immigrants believe in science. And so, you know, I think that's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing to then promote folks who are like actually doctors or actually scientists. But um, yeah, I mean, education, healthcare, it seems like those are issues that all people care care about, but like Asian Americans in particular care about. Um, it, yeah, I don't know. Well, that sentence you're reading, Jay, which I think is true about how, you know, like Koreans are Christian and Indian people might be Hindu or Muslim, like that's true of Asia, right? But not all of Asia comes to the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? A particular group comes to the United States and they are searching for these concrete things like, you know, um, upward mobility. And so, yeah, I think the yeah. programs could, you know, if not, even if they're not aimed at Asians as, as this particular group, you know, they are, they could be tested and proven to be a, particularly appealing to the sort of self-selecting group that comes to the mm. country. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I, I think I agree with that. But then in the end, I just think that that goes back to like maybe it is a necessarily bootstraps type message yeah. that you do have to send out there. But I don't know. I think while you're right in saying that AOC also has a bootstraps yeah. narrative that that you know is appealing to her, and the Republican response is like, "Well, your you know your bootstrap story is bad." Mm-hmm. You know, not like. Um, well, at first they were like, actually, you're rich. And then afterwards, they're like, actually, you're just a bartender. And so like, they can't even effectively counter it at all. Yeah, I feel like this anti-bootstraps thing is like what, you know, like academics would say, like, you know, that's bad. But I think all politicians go for it. Like Democrats, centrists, progressives, they all go for the bootstrap narrative. That's how you win. That's how you win people, right? And then yeah. it's the rest of us who try to deconstruct it and think about, you know, it's invented violence and all that, but... Yeah, it's like it's a sports thing too, you know. <laughs> That's why it's hard to root for LeBron this year. Uh, <laughs> when he was on the when he was in the Cavs against the Warriors, he was like such the bootstraps guy, you know. He's like, well, I'm just gonna fucking put down my lunch pail and fuck these guys up for seven games. But now, uh, now it's not like that anymore. Um, actually, you know what? One last thing, why? And then, um, and then we'll get to Tammy's thing, and then we'll go. Which is. Uh, I wanted to read this one section that you wrote, which is something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, which is the 
unless uh, the killing of George Floyd, for example, exacerbated divisions on long lines of class and nationality. Among police officer Tu Tao was involved in Floyd's death. Debate within the Hmong community, which is largely working class and predominantly refugee, often takes place on radio programs on nationwide teleconference calls where strangers phone in and talk about issues important to them. Conversations during the summer were were, uh, were wary and often explosive. Yang Xiang, a professor of social work and Asian American studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who studies Hmong American political participation, observed that Hmong Americans sometimes have it have an uneasy relationship to the broader category of Asian American. Their higher rates of poverty are often invoked as a, quote, negative test case to disprove the model minority myth, he explained. And that's the only time they enter into the Asian American uh, conversation. In this case, other Asian Americans were particularly aggressive in disavowing Tao. Quote, you can't just erase these real life lived experiences and expect groups to come together, Zhang said. They do come together, but it often takes a lot of work. Like this, this thing is actually that this part is actually extremely interesting to me, which is just like there are groups of Asian Americans who, you know, completely resist being Asian American at all. And the reason why part of the reason why they resist it at all is because they feel like they're like the lower class or the declasse or like the untouchables of Asians. And I think Hmong people certainly feel that way. I think all, you know, Pacific Islanders also feel that way. Right. The joke with the AAPI that we always tell on the show is like, AAPI only exists on panels, you know, and the PI on the panel is always pissed off at the AAs, you know, <laughs> for good reason, because the AAs are just like, oh, yeah, they treat them like they're an afterthought, right? Uh, I don't I, I feel like this is going to probably fracture any sort of attempts to make a, an actual identity, which is that, you know, it's not like these groups are different. It's like sometimes these groups hate each other, right? And, um, I don't know. I think if I, with the two Tao thing, I always feel like this, like anger on behalf of Hmong Americans. Cause I'm just like, I just try and put myself in their shoes and I'm just like, how fucking dare you now? Now we're Asian, you know, now <laughs> right. I reflect on you yeah. before you wouldn't even give me fucking time of day, you know, like you don't even know anything about me, you know, you assume, you assume I like Boba and fucking like Naruto too, you know, like, it's just like, it's like, it's like shit like that. Um, I don't know. I find this, I find that this is going to be the big impediment though. Like, I think that like trying to find some sort of Asian political identity and to turn it into electoral, you know, an electoral victory or electoral strategy is made impossible by stuff like this. And stuff like this is so undetected and difficult and thorny that like nobody's going to be able to untangle it. Your thoughts, Andy Liu. No, I think that's true, but um i don't know it's like i think in the i mean i don't know i just come back to my kind of boring answer i think in the long run they still kind of look for the same things the universalist things and then it is when you kind of do the identity thing where you emphasize one group in the abstract against another group that's when you build resentment and this is not just you know exclusively to asian americans this is also what we've seen throughout the rest of the country as well so i think the kind of thing we've been circling around this whole show is like getting beyond the abstract abstract issues abstractions like you know racial identity and just don't even i mean not not talk about it but you know stick to the concrete policies that uh i think cut across not only like ethnic groups but also generations because i think that's the other thing that's in hua's piece that is there are the first generations who have a completely different background than people like us and our kids and the only thing that could be shared in common is like a preference for a certain policy that but uh, tammy do you think that's possible to sort of you know the three of the four people here 
are on the 99th percentile against identity politics for you know left-leaning asian americans like there's maybe four other left-leaning asian americans who hate identity politics more than us you know so like i think that one of the things that we have to understand is that um for that it's still a huge thing right like it is an emotional way that people get into politics it is like it is a powerful thing and we shouldn't just discount it because we don't like it personally. Do you think it's possible to sort of get get beyond this identity category and and, and sort of, you know, make a universalist argument? I don't know. Okay. You're not I invited so. back on, on the McLaughlin hour. <laughs> have, no have a drink, Cokie. <laughs> Loosen up. <laughs> Um, well, what do you think? Do you think it's do you think it's possible to get beyond this identity? Or you know, I don't want to place you in the same sort of you know weird leftist space that we are in terms of identity politics. But you know, like, do you think that do you think that that we that these issues are just going to make it difficult for us to have any sort of cohesion? Yeah, I mean, they have for quite some time. It seems like they'll continue to, especially with like media being so fractured. I mean, I find it fascinating that these conversations are taking place on these like among among americans like on teleconference calls you know just it just it's just wild how every immigrant group has their own kind of internal form of media and communication Mm -hmm. um i mean i feel like the original dream of the category asian american or just identity politics in general was about politics and solidarity and like material needs so you know you you would hope that there could come a time or that enough conversation would actually produce a recognition of common need like material need and not just like more conversation and and more ways of having conversations and more like conversations about what categories we're using but um i don't know i mean the it was a pretty weird moment i feel this summer like and you just sort of reminded us of of why it was just sort of like all of a sudden everyone was just shitting on this guy and sort of what he represented without any sense of like the context that, yeah. that like, you know, he, he found himself in and all this other stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. It is like, and then just like, you know, like I saw all this shit, the thing that drove me the craziest and I know that I'm just yelling at a cloud here, but like, you know, I'd see like sort of rich Koreans and, and Chinese and East Asians being like, Oh, well, I don't know any Asian. The only Asians I know who became cops are assholes. And it's like, well, it's cause all the fucking Asians, you know, are rich, educated, Asians, right. you know, like if you think know anything about the Hmong community in Minneapolis, and it makes total sense that a lot of them are trying to access the middle class through becoming a police officer, right? Like that's generally where immigrants become police officers in the first place. And it was like it became personalized right. in this Anyone sort of way where police it was, officer. Sure, I mean a lot of people become police officers because they're assholes. It is true, you know. <laughs> but like I don't, I don't like no, saying I, that too yeah. tall. No, I mean yeah. the middle class part, but anyway, yeah. Oh yeah, the the uh, two Tao, like you know, there's just so many. It just it was a weird moment. I don't know. I still haven't really processed it honestly. Like I I find myself. Where did you? Where did you I don't think I saw it that much. Where did you guys? Where did you guys see all this? What do you mean? All the sort of Asian like disavowing Asian Americans of two Tao. Yeah. Oh my god, it was everywhere. Like just just it like it was like everybody Twitter. being like, <laughs> well, you know, Jeff did it, but like it was other people <laughs> saying like, you know, like. Uh, he doesn't represent us. We have to talk about what this means. And yeah. Like, I don't know what it means, man. He's just fucking, this dude's standing there. He's a cop. Yeah. You know, he should have stopped it. 
he didn't he should go to fucking jail you know or he should be i don't know whatever like you know he should be he should be held responsible for that you know um i don't feel any reflection on from him on me um but maybe i'm maybe i'm i don't know maybe i'm different that way maybe uh, maybe people do i just find it weird too yeah maybe it's a maybe it's a generational thing maybe it's just we're too old to care in that sort of way and other people do (laughs) all right enough rambling um oh is there anything else you want to say yeah yeah the other thing that i didn't like i have was like totally unaware of before um reporting this was that like the next census may show that there are more Indian Americans than Chinese yeah, Americans. That was crazy. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's and, crazy. And I, I feel no like idea. Yeah. if that's, that's actually <laughs> going to happen, I mean, the numbers are pretty neck and neck at this point. Um, if you just take sort of South Asians aggregated, like Indians, people from India and Pakistan, but um, and I don't know. That'll Sri Lanka. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be pretty bizarre. I feel just and in the sense of like Chinese Americans is just China, not Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong. I'm not, it's however, like the census, okay. census works. And so, mm. you know, there's obviously like underreporting and whatnot, but yeah. you know, it is interesting to think that like Asian American, this category is so synonymous with like Chinese, Japanese, Koreans for it to actually, for like the population to like, not at all reflect that kind of visibility. Yeah. That's going to be pretty strange. I, I would say. I'm, yeah. I'm skeptical. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We're going to have to basically have a reckoning with that thing, you know, like are our South Asians, Asians and like do how do we deal with it? Is it like all the professional super Asians have, you know, when they always have one South Asian on every panel, you know, like, is that, is that how you can deal with it? Cause it's not going to work anymore. Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like at some point there will be a natural disaggregation of the two and there'll be two separate groups. Don't you think? I think that it kind of almost has to happen that way. Because basically the only reason why, the only time when there, this idea is discussed as, you know, whenever Asian, like South Asians as Asian Americans are discussed, is like when people are apologizing about not including people yeah. on lists, you know, it's <laughs> the only at, time. This, at the same time, in Asia, these countries are, all these countries are getting us closer than they ever have before. Well, like in first centuries or millennia because of Chinese investment in all over these places. Right. So there's a lot of Chinese presence in India now, yeah. uh, more than yeah. there has been in a long time, but... And also in the Sudan, so yeah, we could yeah. have yeah, yeah, okay. a good relationship. <laughs> right. The whole world united under Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Tammy, uh, well, do you want to say for Tammy's, uh, or do you got to go? Um, I'm here. It, okay, Tammy, <laughs> what is, what is every week we have a new segment, which is that Tammy tells us something that we should know about, which is not just us complaining about twitter which is what you know we did not do this a week i actually think much like our hair wig episode there's a lot of new information in this that i hope that people will find interesting um but tammy always you know um tammy is the i don't know how to explain it tammy non-debater is, <laughs> tammy is the person who you should go to for actual information out of the three of us, I'll put it that way and tammy Uh, What is your thing that everyone should know about this week? Well, I've been really concerned about and reading into the floods in Vietnam, the country that Hua's protagonist does not want to go to. (laughs) Um, But you guys probably have seen some of this. I mean, rainy season flooding isn't rare in Vietnam. It happens every year and it affects the central part of the country. You know, it's an S-shaped country and the skinny middle part is like the agricultural region and it's all coastal. Um, 
but it's been super, super bad this year. And like more than a hundred people have died, but hundreds of thousands of people have lost their homes. And now the latest count is 5 million people be affected and need to be evacuated from their homes. So I just wanted to raise this because, you know, one of the things we haven't really discussed on this show is climate change and the environmental, you know, catastrophe and, and also the movements that are trying to do something about it. And so I just wanted to, you know, point out this like crisis in the making in Vietnam and, you know, bring the kind of climate question to us because, you know, Vietnam, along with Bangladesh and other countries in Asia, that's kind of like where we're going to see the climate crisis most pointedly. And we already are. So that's it's, Tammy's it's, new spinach depression corner for this week. It's, it's like Debbie Downer. Is, Viet, is yeah. Vietnam doing anything about it? Because I know that like they're, you know, a very proactive country in yeah. many ways, including in dealing with the coronavirus. Like are they are they is there anything that they're doing to stave off, you know, years and years of flooding? I mean, I think there's not that much they can do in this and especially in this region. You know, it's like all of the infrastructure is like in Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, north and south. And like this middle part is really like an agricultural region that, you know, floods every October. And Vietnamese people are used to donating to this region every fall. But oh, now man. it's at a point where like, what do you even do about this? Because it's there isn't really anything you could do to control this level of flooding. It just depends on like what happens to the entire environment of the world. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, very scary, you know? like in two days, there's going to be another typhoon that hits from that's just come mm. out of the Philippines. So, yeah, I just feel like this is one of the places that we should just be keeping an eye out and caring about because, you know, yeah. again, Vietnam, Bangladesh, Bhutan, that whole and then like Myanmar, Nepal, like that entire region is just it's flooding all the time. What, how is Vietnam? We already talked about uh, Thailand last week about how they've been yeah. hit by COVID. And so Vietnam's a kind of similar situation where, like, on the one hand, they've done really well with COVID, but on the other hand, has it also decimated their economy? I mean, I assume it has yeah. for, just as it has for everyone else, right? Yeah, totally. So, so Vietnam is less reliant than Thailand on the, on tourism, but still, like, very much so. And, yeah, so that's been a huge hit. And it's done well with, with COVID. You know, there's, like, 100 million people in the country and only, like, I think a 1,000 something have died. Well, you know, on reports. So that's, that's incredible. But yeah, people are suffering because of the economy. And I think it's also, you know, Vietnam also like to our last point on the previous segment is like a kind of China investment. Yeah, you know? I think more so than Thailand. Yeah. And, and then it's other trading com- countries are like US, South Korea, Japan, you know, <laughs> Taiwan. So it's, it's like very much in the mix of like what we are normally interested in here on the show. And um, it's GDP has been going up a huge amount in part, actually, like ironically, both because of China's investment, but also because it's a place that people go when they don't want to deal with China. That's what they thought a lot of the manufacturing right. that was, yeah, totally. was going to move out of China and into yeah. Vietnam, which uh, I don't know. It makes happen sense. to make... the extent we thought. Right. But like still. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been to Vietnam? I want to go so bad. I haven't been. Have you guys? No. Okay. Yeah, I spent a long time there. It was. Uh, okay. I went to this. I went to the Central Valley you're talking about, and they have like marks on the buildings of like when the big floods came, wow. of where the water level got wow. to. So it definitely happens uh, from time to time, but yeah. now it seems like it's happening much more. Um, yeah, 
it's a i don't know i loved it um i got run over by a by like a motor scooter there <laughs> it's like the most tourist shit ever it's just yeah. like walking and i wasn't paying attention just somebody just nailed me oh, shit. and then in, in hanoi someone ran over my foot with one and i was like god damn it. <laughs> Wait, so tammy um, has the has the reporting show that these floods have gotten noticeably worse or is it just kind of random or how can you kind of isolate and say the last 20 years has gotten much worse yeah, so definitely people are saying this one is like the worst in decades, this particular season, not just like one flood incident, but this kind yeah. of aggregate rainy season. But the last bad one is in 2017. That was more yeah. than sort of just, you know, the usual. I mean, the other thing I was thinking about with this story is just that the countries that we've kind of thought about as like our Asian American, like refugee sending countries, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to be our refugee sending countries again because of yeah. the climate, you know? So the kind of mm. repetition of like, war and then like climate like it's all the same countries all the time you know and and so i don't know what the responsibility of the u.s will be in that like obviously we have some whether or not our policy like matches that will be a question i wonder if there's a conversation Um, of getting like rich vietnamese americans to send money back but if they have no connection back to vietnam because that kind of happens with other diaspora groups right right. but if they're not going to send it back to like you know yeah so like janet win they're not going to right so that's kind yeah. of the. And their families are probably also, in like Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, and not like in like. Yeah. But yeah. also, like they might not even have families, right? Yeah. It could be like they're all their families are refugees. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Like we're hanging off that helicopter or something. <laughs> um, the uh, I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, it, I have one thought, and just like, I wonder how much of the politics of those specific countries will then just be like responses to ongoing climate crises, and none, none of this will matter. I only think about this because even here, you know, in where I live, um, they basically forced, they told everyone to evacuate preemptively last night. Mm. And so all these people are booking hotels. I did not because, you know, I'm like, I'm an alpha and I don't listen to the government when they tell me to get out of the way. (laughs) But but like they they were telling me to preempt, but I was like thinking about it and I was like, okay, so in three years of this, right, three years here in the in the Bay Area of these fires, basically everybody's campaign platform is going to be like, mm-hmm. who's going to handle the, the fires the best, you know? And I mm-hmm. imagine that this will just be true all around the world, um, especially in those countries and in states where these things keep happening. Um, I don't know, something to think about. That's my, that's our last section. It's my insightful thought of the day. <laughs> <laughs> from, from, <laughs> from my basement recording here in Berkeley, California. Um, all right. Well, is there anything you want to plug? We're at an hour 45 now. <laughs> I am very happy with the length of this. We did not get to six hours like I had scheduled. But, um, <laughs> uh, hour 45 is good. Is there anything you want to plug or tell people? No, um, no. I'm, before you leave? I'm just, you know, I was very, very excited to come on the show. So it was a uh, great experience. And, uh, you know, um, wait, did, are you going to post this at an hour 46? You, you're not editing this down, right? No, okay. no, we do very, very minimal <laughs> editing. On this What's the longest pod you guys have posted? I think this will this be the longest one. one. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm, just trying to, yeah. I'm just trying to drag it out even more. So. We're not, we're, we're in the ballpark of the longest right now. I don't know okay. if we've actually gotten to the longest, but um, I know that. I don't do you get know, metrics have... on how, how far into episodes people people make? Yeah, we kind of, and I will say that it was surprising to me how far people got 
huh. you know, like how many hours they spent on iTunes. You can sort of see it as a metric, how many hours they listen. Hmm. And people, I think, listen to it. So, I, you know, our, we've been <laughs> kind of blown away by our listenership in the sense that they're very responsive and they're very thoughtful and they're, they listen to the show and we appreciate that, you know, like uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, they get pretty far. I don't know if they're going to make it to this, you know, through an hour 46, but I bet they'll make it through like an hour and 20 of this. Yeah. Know? I mean, I'd, like props to anyone who's still listening at this point. Yeah, if you're still listening, thank you. I hope you're on a long drive somewhere. Um, all right. Andy, Tammy, are, are we all set? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Really well, well thanks for yeah, coming thank you on so the show. Uh, we, yeah. we want you back on yeah. whenever. And, you know, um, everyone should... Uh, you know, Breed Wa's work. I think it's, uh, I don't know, I've always found it exciting and insightful. I felt that way 10 years ago when I first read it. I still feel that way right now. Um, and uh, please keep sending us your emails if you have thoughts about anything that we talked about. The email is time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us or send us a DM at TTSG on Twitter. Um, all I'll, right. I'll come back for the Mount Rushmore episode. Oh yeah, we should definitely do that. Yeah, who is the Mount Rushmore of Asian America? Asian American. We'll do a, a bracket, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well the different brackets will yeah. have like the different, you know, be like all right, the woke, the yeah. woke Asians. You know, like, Grace Lee Boggs is a one seed. You know, um, you know, John Yu is like a sixteen seed, and so we just do it that way. Sixteen like, seed. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 the head the, of ice. <laughs> oh yeah, God, that Tony fucking Fan. guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, wait, who's the guy who? Uh, who is that? Um, oh, Richard Aoki is he? He can't be a part of it. Right, he could anymore, be right? on both. He could be on both sides, right? <laughs> he could be on both sides, yeah. He'll meet in the yeah. finals with himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good Aoki and an informant. Yeah, Aoki. exactly. Richard Aoki versus Steve Aoki. It's oh, that's yeah, a good exactly. one. <laughs> yeah, Devin, Devin Aoki versus Steve Aoki versus versus Richard Aoki. <laughs> I follow Devin Aoki on Instagram for some reason. Her children look exactly like her. It's very strange you know um i don't know why i was why i'm talking about that but you know do you remember devin aoki that the supermodel mm-hmm. who had like the tiny face i, I know, know what you're talking steve, about i, know. I feel steve like we're really tormenting andy right now he's <laughs> you don't know to steve, go to bed right know, okay. i don't know anyway, all right devin aoki. yeah it is very late okay benny um, hana daughter yeah benny hana daughter steve aoki's sister yeah. Steve Aoki's Aoki's sister. Sister. yeah. Look it up. Look yeah. it up. Google it after the show. She was in. Uh, she was she in should, should be the, the main picture on the on the episode. Let me She's in Tokyo Drift. She's in Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, like okay, low key, note, one of the better ones of the series. But yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> we, will, we will see you next week. All right. Uh, all right. Um, all right. So, Wad, please don't close this window. Okay. Um, <laughs>